home run now. Awesome. But we're not. Hold your seats. So we're wrapping up today. We're wrapping up uh, the series um, that we've simply called Forerunners. And if you've been around Celebration Church for any length of time, you should be able to tell people or know what Celebration Church is about. Celebration Church's core goal, focus, everything we think about, wrap around, try to make happen, is to help people, you, us, others, to know God better and to trust Him more. That is what we're about. This whole thing where Jesus came and He paid the price so that we could become children of God, His kids, His family. Not so that we could become servants of God. That'd be pretty awesome. You know, the the prodigal son, he was like, I'll be a servant to my dad. My dad was awesome to the people who served him. But he forgot he was a son. But the father never forgot that that was what it was about. It was about the relationship, that family relationship. And this is about God wanting you to know him and to grow in knowing him and trusting him. That's what this whole thing of, sometimes it feels a little mystical about this life of faith. It's just trusting him. It's when you're in conflict with what you feel like is right and his word and what he says is right, you go with him. Whenever he's prompting you to do something and you're a little apprehensive and a little scared, you go with what he says to do, trusting that he loves you and he's taking care of it. That's what this life of faith is all about. So the, <clears throat> this, as we look at the scriptures, the faith of those who've gone before us, they help us to grow and to understand what it means to truly know God better and trust him more. And we've been looking at this scripture now for the ninth week in a row. The, the Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I love that concept of surrounded. It's not like, well, man, one or two people did it, so you've got no excuse. You know, most everybody really flopped at this knowing God thing. But a couple people did it, and so you can too. No, it's this great cloud of witnesses. And when you dig down into their lives, they're as messed up as us. They are. They got some stuff they'd rather keep pushed in the closet and hidden, and God writes it in the scriptures for the ages. Their bumps, their bruises, their mistakes, and their places where they just said yes to God and let him operate in their lives and that we get the whole package. And so since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us throw it off. Throwing something off typically means you're probably holding it. Some of the stuff that gets in the way, we hold on to. And we've got to kind of get rid of that stuff. We throw it off. We get rid of it. We don't let it hang on us anymore. And the sin that so easily entangles Thank goodness that Jesus Christ set us free from the law of sin and death. Sin does not bring the death with it that it did prior to Jesus. As we've placed our faith in him, that part is dealt with. But sin can still, in this life, entangle us. Things that are destructive, that God says are destructive, are destructive. And they jack up our lives. And we have people who are heaven ready and right with God and just live a mess on this planet as they let this stuff where they don't trust God in these issues and they entangle you 
And when we do that, he want, they want us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And as we've looked at, at Abraham and Moses and Esther and, and Rebecca and, and Jesus and all of these different people, we've kind of looked at it like we're in our race. We're running. There's this great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. And it's like they come out of the crowd and they do a lap with us. And they're just kind of giving us some insight to help us go. It's, this is not a sprint. This is a, this is a long haul. And today we're going to look at a guy that um, you probably, you may not know. If, you're, if you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard of him. But if you're new to this, you don't know him. And his life is not told out in one beautiful narrative like Moses's or Abraham's or Joseph's life. You've got to be able to read the scripture and you pick up pieces of, of this guy's life as you read through the scriptures. And he shows up here and he shows up here and he shows up here. But all of a sudden when you begin to piece the things together, you begin to see this amazing life that we can learn from. And this guy's name is Obed-Edom. And he's, I, he's just one of my favorite lesser known guys in the Old Testament. Let's just go ahead and look at this real quick. The first thing that we want to embrace, the first concept we want to take on running our race and knowing God better and trusting him more, is that Obed-Edom welcomed the presence of God into his home. That's the first time we come in contact with Obed-Edom. The first thing he does that, that he is of, that's of note that ends him up in the scriptures. He's been living his life all of this time. All things are happening that are getting written in scriptures and nobody knows about Obed-Edom, what he's doing, all this. And then this moment happens. And it happens, if you want to read the whole narrative, it's in Second Samuel 6. You can pick up in verse 1, but I'm just going to give you the debrief on it. And what happens is the uh, Ark the, of the, the Ark of the Covenant, which in the Old, Old Testament worship was where the presence of God existed, not inside the box, but between the cherubim in this, in this space right here, and there was this extra presence of God. It wasn't like he was limited there. God showed up and made himself, showed himself off all over the planet um, all the times. But in this place of worship, there was this extra place of worship, this extra place of presence. In the New Testament, there's this extra place of the presence of God where it says where two or three are gathered in his name, there I am in the midst. What's well, not like God just all of a sudden randomly shows up. No, there's this concentrated presence of God in that moment, which is why gathering together is a big deal and coming to worship here. Well, they had kind of ignored this, and it was in the wrong place, and David decides he wants to bring the presence of God into the city of Jerusalem. He's just been made king over united Israel, he had, was first hidden in a cave, and he hides out, and God builds him up there and brings. Then he's made king of Hebron, then he's made king of united Israel, and he goes. And he brings not just a couple of people. It's not just a little Aaron. He's a part of this deal. Takes 30,000 soldiers to go and carry this on. But he forgot something. He forgot to look at the scriptures. And there's some things kind of <clears throat> that talk about what needs to take place in the moving of the ark. And just like you and I are designed to carry the presence of God, that was foreshadowed in the way the ark was supposed to be moved. And it wasn't supposed to be put on a cart or anything like that. It was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. That was foreshadowing you and I carrying the presence of God today. 
And so they kind of thought, we're going to do this. They got a brand new cart. That's like us going and getting a brand new, tricked out, $80,000 dually, man. Never had anything in the bed of it. It's just all taken care of. And we stick this thing right in the middle of it. Man, we've, we've taken good care of it. Well, it never supposed to be there. They get this brand new cart. They set it in there. And they're trailing along. They're worshiping. They're dancing. They're doing what, everything that seems right. But they've, they're not doing it. They've, they've tried to mechanize the, moving the presence of God. And it was never meant to be mechanized. It was never meant to be to done. It was supposed to be on the shoulders and in the, with people. And God, that was what God's heart has always been about. And the ox stumbles in jars. And here goes this thing that's steady. And this presence of God thing is shaking. And there's a guy who's sitting there near it. And if you look at the scriptures, this actually, where this had been for a long time was on his daddy's property. He'd been around this thing. Uzzah had been around this thing. And he had honestly, instead of building this place of reverence and understanding, there had been this kind of familiarity. He'd kind of gotten used to it. And he goes and it's about to fall over and he does what seems logical to you and I. But this is the, this is the holy thing and it was not allowed. And he reaches out his hand and he touches it to steady it. Seemed like the right thing to do. And he dies instantly. But David gets mad. David's like, I'm trying to do a good thing here. And, and, and he gets mad. He's mad at God. He's mad at the whole process. He's just ticked. He's like, ah, this, I, who can deal with this thing? And he's just, he's, he's in a quandary. He's confused. And, and he, at this point, they can't just leave the ark on the road. And they got to put it somewhere. And this guy, Obed-Edom, says, you can put it in my house. Somebody just died. Somebody just took it lightly. Somebody just treated it as common. And it was a, it was a, a destructive thing for him in that time. Praise God, that is not the, that's not the covenant that we live under. Things have shifted with Christ. But he opens out and he saw something other than that. And it goes into his home. And we catch up in verse 10. And it says, And he was not willing, this is David, to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Let's go ahead and look at Luke 10. We see this same thing where you have this tension between recognizing this beautiful presence of God in your home and right there or getting wrapped up in the work of it. And in Luke 10, verse 38, it says, And as Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, who's the one who opened her home, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away. Now we could just spend a whole hour digging into just the richness of this. And honestly, as a minister leader, 
This is something I have to come back to. Because sometimes we can get wrapped up in all of the doings to create an environment for Jesus to be in and go, God, I need you to send some help. Get Mary to help. He's like, she's spending time with me, but I need some help doing the things so that you can be here. He was already there. He was already there. She didn't need to do any extra, but she was wrapped up in it. And Mary embraced the beauty of just sitting at Jesus' feet with dishes undone, with what else ever Martha was upset about, undone, and just sitting at the feet of Jesus. We had, as we grow in Christ, if you want to know him better and trust him more, then be willing to let a few of the little things kind of go at times when the presence of God is, 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 needs to be the priority. There's some times that we can get wrapped up in all of the other doings and we miss out on him right there. John 14, 23 says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My father will love him and he will come to him and will make our home with him. That is his desire. He's always desired that. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day to just spend time together. Is all he wants. That's the beauty of, of, of heaven and having the, the, the new creation fully reformed is no separation in us right there in the presence of God and getting to hang out and it's not floating on clouds and goofy stereotype stuff. It's real life. It's really enjoying being together in the presence of God. See, there's a difference between being together and being welcomed when you're together. One of my earlier childhood memories is when I, there were some neighbors and, and they, had, uh, they had cable and I uh, had the cartoons I couldn't get. And I'd mentioned that and that the lady was hanging out with my mom and she lived next door and she was like, well, just go on over and you can watch cartoons with the boys. And so I'd do what she said. I'd go over and, and I kind of barely little knock and nobody says anything and I open the door and I go into the living room and these two boys are a little bit older than me. I was about five or six years old, and man, they look at me, and they're just mad that I'm there. And so I'm sitting there, and I want to watch the cartoons, and I'm there in the presence, and I'm not welcomed by these two little kids. And I'm telling you, it was so awkward, and it just burned in me. And I just, I hated that feeling that I was there, and I was experiencing it, but I wasn't welcomed. It's just a horrible experience. God is with you all the time. He's in the middle of all of your stuff. And if we'll just take the moment to recognize and welcome him, I'm telling you, it can turn situations around right then and there. Also, Obed-Edom's home life inspired others to pursue the presence of God. What an amazing concept that your daily life, what happens at your house, can inspire other people. His life let David know that there was more to gain in the presence of God than there was to fear from the presence of God. David had just shut down. The king had shut down. But in three months, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened that he was so blessed in three months that word of it gets back to the king of the land. But people were like, man, Obed-Edom is blessed. I don't know if all his sheep had like quintuplets or something. I have 
I have no, I don't even know if that's possible. I, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, his, his, you know, his corn really is as high as an elephant's eye. I don't know what happened. But something happened in Obed-Edom's house for that three months that it got word got back to the king. And they're like, we need the presence of God for the whole community, not just isolated in this man's house. And it inspired David to take action. And we, we look at verse 11. It says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God, because of the presence of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. We want to have an influence in our city. It starts with us influencing our homes. It's just true. We can't rail against the stuff that we don't like that's happening in our nation or state or city. If we're not going to allow the presence of God and who he is to begin to impact our homes. But if it does impact our homes, it can't stay contained. It will spill out. It will. It won't stay isolated. It will spill out. It will change everything. 1 Timothy 1, 15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. That the grace of God in Paul's life was an example. When he was passing something on to his number one disciple in the faith, it was this concept. I pray that God has been an example and his grace has been an example in my life. You need to catch this, Timothy. Do that. All of us need to catch that and allow that to happen in our lives. It's not that we have to hide our shortcomings. It's that we can live open, honest lives because God grace is abounds and he's the one that fixes and changes and creates these testimonies see the revelations tells us that the believers that we've overcome by the blood of the lamb that scripture language for what jesus did that jesus was the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world if you're if you're here you're not familiar with with the scriptures that he was the one that took it so we overcome by what jesus accomplished and then it goes on to say, and the word of our testimony, that how, what he did, how that impacted our lives. That's what makes that 2,000 year ago amazing moment where he went to the cross and he was placed in a grave and it couldn't hold him and it came out is the fact that it's still relevant and changing lives today. That's what makes it world changing. That's what changes it all. And then we also want to embrace the fact that he was a worshiper and he pursued the presence of God. We're going to jump to a new chapter because we don't hear much about Obed-Edom there in Samuel after that. But we do pick up on him again in First Chronicles as they're kind of talking about some other things and just listing some duties. And all of a sudden Obed-Edom pops out again. 
And so we're going to look at 1 Chronicles 15, verse 24. It says, Shebaniah, Joshaphat, Nathaniel, Amasai, Zechariah, Benaniah, and Eliezer, the priests, were to blow trumpets before the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were also to be doorkeepers for the ark. Now wait a minute, he lived out on some place, out on the outskirts of town. All of a sudden now he's here working in the temple? Yeah, because what happened? The ark moved. So he said, he got such a thirst to be in the presence of God, he's like, I'm getting a new vocation. I'm going. And he stayed there. He was, he was a worshiper and he pursued the presence of God. We look at Second Chronicles 5. Oh, Obed-Edom, he wasn't a one-trick pony. Let's look at this guy. Asaph the, was the chief. Zechariah, second. Then Jeliel. Then a hard name. Then Jehel. And Mahathiah. And Eliab. And Benaniah. And Obed-Edom. And Jeiel. They were to play the lyres and the harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. So Obed-Edom, not only was he a doorkeeper, he was a guitar picker. He was there. He was, he was sitting there. He was Nat Turney, man. Just ripping it up. He was good old Russ Collins. Or maybe even Daniel Gomez. Lord help us all. And so, <laughs> that, uh, that he, was, he was there. He was a worshiper and he brought his skill sets fully into this place of worship. John four twenty three says, Yet a time is coming and has now come. It's coming. That means it's going to be progressive, but it's already started is what that, that funny wording is. And has now come when worshipers, the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. I believe Obed-Edom was a forerunner of that kind of worship. He saw, he knew the truth of who God was and his nature. He wasn't afraid to have that in the middle of his home. And he followed and he pursued it full out. I want to go ahead and as we wrap up, let's look at Obed-Edom's final word of encouragement he's run his lap he's told us man let your home be a sanctuary bring it into there follow God be a worshiper let this take place and as he's throwing it over his shoulder he's reminding us oh yeah you do this and a life of service and worship will create a legacy for your family one of the things that I cherish from my childhood is the times and the moments that God was invited into our home. There as a young, as a young man, then there was a, back in the, the 70s and late early 80s of the charismatic renewal when the church was awakening to the truth of the power of the Holy Spirit and the relevance of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts and, and all of these different things. And my parents got a, were exposed to that and, and there were a lot of people who had questions about that. And, and so there was tons of times people would come to our house and I would be back in my room and I would hear prayer meetings taking place in my living room. And there were so many people filled with the Holy Spirit in my living room that people got to joking and called our carpet the holy carpet. And they're like, hey, we need to go to the holy carpet. We need to take this person to the holy carpet because people just sitting in the living room and getting filled with the Spirit. And it was, just an, it was just an amazing time. And that happened in my living room as a kid. 
Some of it I was a little upset that I couldn't go in there and turn on the TV. But more I didn't realize till later in life the impact that that had on me. The times that if I happened to get up a little earlier in the morning that my mom was sitting there with her Bible out on the phone with her prayer partner and had been there for an hour and a half praying over my life and everybody else and studying the scriptures together every morning. Watching and remember as about six or seven years old and my dad being getting up early on Sundays back when a television program was live down at the TV station. My dad went down to the TV station with our pastor and was a, a regular on that deal. They would sit there and open the scriptures and it was real low budget there. And, but they're just sitting there as panel discussion and there's my dad discussing the scriptures on TV. And it's like, my goodness, I was, as a little kid, I was just so proud uh, of my dad and impacted by that forever. Years later, my wife in our living room comes to Christ in our living room. And there on that, we still gather at that same spot on the carpet every Christmas and celebrate where my wife came to Christ. It happened not in a church service, but at home. I'm telling you people, full of, let the, this Obed-Edom thing, it will create a legacy. It will change lives. Let's look at 1 Chronicles 26. It says, all these were descendants of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were capable men with the strength to do the work. Des- descendants of Obed-Edom, 62 in all. Prior to that, These guys had not been involved in any of this ministry stuff. As it got alive in Obed-Edom, all of a sudden his family legacy takes a turn. And all of a sudden, at this point, at this juncture, there's 62 who are sitting there who have the strength to do the work. It changed his family tree. It says, the lot for the south gate fell to Obed-Edom. The lot for the storehouse fell to his sons. What an amazing thing as Obed-Edom and his children serving God together. And then, if you really, really want to dig a little deeper, we're going to jump 230 years forward in church in Old Testament history to 2 Chronicles 25-24. And this is, we see that it says, He took all the gold and the silver and all the articles found in the temple of God that had been in the care of Obed-Edom. You're like, well, man, that guy's old. No, it's not, he's not still alive. It was under his children that had done that under his household. It was still under 230 years later. Folks, this is about the length that the United States has been around. And still serving God strong. It says, together with all of the palace treasures and the hostages, and they returned to Samaria. What an amazing thing. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. Do you really know God and you trust him? Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. Here's this legacy. Obed-Edom, father, he led his house. It doesn't matter if you're the father, the mother, whoever. You, his grandmother took the reins and just led And Here's Timothy changing the course of early church history. So you see, 
folks, Obed-Edom shows us how to pursue the presence of God and how that pursuit can change the generations. Folks, that's what this is about. This is about knowing God and trusting him. That's about saying, God, I dare to give you not just one hour a week. And praise God if that's your starting point. And I don't look down on that at all. What an amazing thing. If it's new to you, you've given him an hour a week, he'll take it. But I'll tell you what, what he wants is to be able to invade and be active in every part of your life. Every part of it. Folks, God is so for us. Let's run with perseverance, this race marked out for us. We have heaven cheering us on. His presence is with us. There's nothing too big for him. Praise God, praise God. I want us to close right now and just